Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. And today I have with us Ryan Swanson from Atlanta, Georgia, representing Religious Nuts. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm fine. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Uh, so, Ryan, tell us a little bit about your company and like how you became you know, a nuts entrepreneur. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting story. I actually developed a peanut allergy in 2015, uh, the very end of 2015, December 27th. I know the exact day because I used to live off peanut butter and peanuts uh, from South Georgia, which is peanut country. And uh, when I developed the allergy, I started looking for alternatives to snack on and uh, was a big almond guy as well. And then just didn't like the flavored almonds out on the market, started making my own at home and uh, friends and family liked them. And then over a period of about two years, kind of decided to start trying to turn it into a company. And that's kind of how we got started. And I mean, did you have a background in being an entrepreneur before? And is this something you do full time? Uh, it is not. So religious nuts is not full time. I have a, another full time job. This is kind of uh, started on the nights and weekends, if you will. And I do have an entrepreneurial background. I'm actually a, a finance and accounting guy by trade, if you will. Uh, this all came about kind of accidentally just from experimenting in the kitchen and, and people liking it and then deciding, well, maybe I can turn that into a, a business. Well, and I the, mean, um, it's obviously going mode. well. I said it's obviously going well. It it, it has picked up. It, it's interesting. I kind of when we started out and I named it and we decided to kind of go out into the real world with it. I guess um, I, it, it picked up much faster than I expected. I was I was kind of expecting a kind of a long slow ramp up, and then when we did our first festival and and people started seeing the products and tasting the product, uh, we did about three times the number of sales last year than I was expecting to do, um, which was a, a, a big surprise in a good way. But then um, from my background, we have a term called catastrophic success. Sometimes you can be so successful you can't keep up. Luckily, we hit a good balance and didn't have that happen. But uh, it was a surprise. It got a good reception. So we've been pleased. And so, I mean, tell us what products you guys have and how people can find you on the internet and, um, and on social media and then how people can buy your products. Sure. So we have, right now, all we have is almonds and white chocolate. We use just almonds and white chocolate. We're experimenting with some other nuts. We get a lot of requests for pecans here in Georgia. Uh, so we're looking into that. But right now we have four flavors, almond sweet. Uh, our four flavors are called... Awaken, which is our coffee flavor, cinnamon, which is obviously cinnamon, uh, hellfire, which is a cayenne pepper, and enlightenment, which is peppermint. Uh, that one's a little strange for people until they try it and then they really like it. But as far as finding us on the internet, our website is religious-nuts.com. And it's really hard to find us on Google because there are a lot of websites that have religious nuts stuff related to it. Uh, so you have to be pretty specific when looking. And as far as in retail, we're only currently in one retail location that happens to be in Macon, Georgia, a small uh, market called Village Marketplace. The guy's name is Brendan Rowley. They do a great job. They've been good friends. Uh, and we're looking to expand that in the Atlanta market in the upcoming months. Yeah, and actually, as coincidence would have it, we just recorded an episode with Brandon um, 
um, f- from Village Marketplace. He, there you go. Yeah, we have a straight. It was bizarre how we got into uh, into the relationship with Brendan. So I have a friend that I I've, they've been a friend of mine for so long. I don't even remember meeting them. I mean, that kind of like feels like we were born together kind of friend. And when we first went to market, they purchased and then recommended we reach out to Brendan, and they actually made the introduction. And then Brendan com- communicated back. This was right at uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas time of last year. And uh, he said, sure, I'd love to try him out. I went down. My, his shop is literally half a mile from my parents' house. So it was like a nice connection. He carried them, sold out, bought more, sold out again. He, he, he was really the driving force to the sales uh, through the Christmas season of last year. And, uh, and then it turns out he had actually gone to high school with my cousins. So it's just a bizarre small world of uh, of how that relationship works out. He's been great. We've, we've enjoyed working with him, and uh, he's, he's been very helpful. And so, I mean, you were just in the flavor of Georgia uh, recently uh, in the spring, and uh, tell us about how you decided to go about that and why you joined that. And, and I mean, you obviously were a finalist, so things went pretty well. Yeah. So the Flavor of Georgia, we were looking at ways to expand the brand after we had had our initial uh, festival that we did. And we were looking at how do you get the name out? What are other things that we can participate in? And I just happened to see a tweet from the Flavor of Georgia competition, uh, decided, well, that's interesting, and, and maybe we should try that out. And so we submitted uh, two of our packages. The cinnamon flavor was the one that we submitted and kind of really weren't expecting much, just kind of thinking of it as more of a learning experience than anything. And then we got selected as a finalist and that was uh, super exciting. And so we participated in the, the event down at the uh, freight depot here in Atlanta, met a lot of great people and uh, it, it got us some more exposure and we've uh, like, that's how I got introduced to you. And that, that was a really good experience. Not to mention just meeting the other entrepreneurs down there uh, and talking to, to different people doing different products like a lot of the information you can just the learning opportunity was really fantastic so uh i know that you had doyle johnson on the podcast not too long ago really interesting guy i got to meet doyle at flavor georgia great people got to talk a lot uh to them about some of the stuff they're doing and some of the stuff that we're doing it was just really good experience all the way around yeah, actually, uh, he was on episode 31, and I I remember it because the amount of people that have enjoyed his episode so much and, and the comments and stuff, and I guess bees are always interesting for some reason. And But it's an interesting thing yeah. how the flavor of Georgia really starts tying people together and, and getting them to work in unison and, and share stories and, and create this network. And while there's competition amongst them a little bit, there's actually like friendships that bond out of it and contacts and people you can pick up the phone and connect with. So, right. It's a great, it really is a great opportunity. And it's, it also kind of helps build a, a really strong bond across for, for Georgia, at least across the different entrepreneurs of Georgia trying to do food based businesses. And you really do have start growing a network and it's a, it's a really vibrant community that you know we're just learning about we're just tapping into we're so we're so new to the food business um and it's really it's really fun and some interesting stuff those guys were really nice guys and they had this just fantastic smoked honey 
And uh, I mentioned I want to make meat out of it. I make meat at home for myself. And they were like, well, we don't drink, but that sounds like fun. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, I'll try it out and tell you how it is. <laughs> yeah, that does sound amazing. I mean, it's so it's an interesting thing. I actually, it's funny because um, when I got up and I was preparing for this podcast, I actually typed in religious nuts into the in the Google and not thinking of what would actually pop up. I was like, Oh, it'll definitely pop up the religious nuts company. But then I got all the actual religious connotations and all the things like that, obviously, which is a play on words, which, so now I'm like, okay, I mean, how did you come up with the name and, and what sort of inspired you with the logo and things like that? So that's uh, we get that question all the time. I mean, I don't think anybody's ever looked at our name and, and not asked us that. And the, the, the story is, is kind of interesting. We were, I was, so I was kicking around the idea of turning it into a company and my wife and I were uh, out with our boys at a festival in Atlanta, just walking around and somebody passed us. And as they were passing by us, they were making a comment uh, about something, something religious nuts. They were complaining about a, some person, I guess, that was yelling at them from on the street corner. But I heard the part religious nuts, and I immediately snapped to my wife and said, "That's what we've got to name the company." She didn't even hear him. She's like, "What's what we have to name the company?" I was like, "Religious nuts. We have to name the company religious nuts." And her initial response was, "No, not a chance." <laughs> She's like, "That will be offensive. People will be like all over you." And I said, "No, it's not meant to be insulting. It's not meant to be funny. It's just a great play on words." And and we had probably a half mile walk back to our car and between me overhearing the comment to the car i had already come up with names for the flavors based on the kind of that theme um and then it took me a couple months to convince her that like this is a great name it's a good chance and we did a lot of test marketing where we would uh take the the our product to parties and stuff and just put them on the table with some of our more religious friends that we thought might be offended by the name and just kind of put them out and saw what the reactions were and we didn't have a single negative reaction most people thought it was funny got a kick out of it uh and then at our first real festival a fella came up and asked us if he could take our picture with our with our sign our banner and we said sure and then he mentions of all my years and this fellow was probably in his late 70s early 80s because this is my favorite brand i've ever seen and i said oh well thank you and he said i'm actually a theology professor <laughs> and i've taught theology for over 40 years and i immediately i was like so you don't believe this is offensive you don't find offensive?" because no it's not meant to be that it's clear that it's meant to be all right we can we can run with this full bore so that's what we've done and uh, as far as the logo i had an idea when that and I'm not an artist, and I ended up uh, through online up who can do uh, logo design, and I knew there would be services where you can kind of give your idea out or your name, and then people will kind of come up with designs, and you just purchase the one that you like the best. And I ended up putting up a request for one and started getting bid back, but I didn't realize I had gone live with it. I was just filling it in, but then one of the people that responded into this kind of like, it's called it's thumbtack. I don't know if you've ever used thumbtack, but uh, I had put it up on thumbtack and started getting uh, bids. And one of the bids came from a guy named Patrick Bosky. His his firm is Trendly Creative, out of Portland, and his work was just interesting. Like I really liked some of his designs, so I thought I thought, well, why not? And I I 
you know, responded back and, and engaged him to do the logo and it gave him kind of my basic idea. And he came up with, we call our, our mascot Al because he's an almond. So we just started shorting it to, to Al and, uh, Patrick created Al. And then when he came back and we saw the, the layout and the thumb and it's like, this is perfect. I, that's exactly what I wanted. I couldn't capture it myself, but Patrick really nailed it. And then when I showed my wife, she was like, all right, this is starting to get real and I really like it. And that's the right feel. And, um, and we've gone from there and we're, we're, we're pretty fond of Val. <laughs> I mean, I love it because actually I grew up like the Robin hood sort of cartoon from Disney in my life and Robin hood in general, and a little bit reminds me of friar tuck, the, the Al, the and, and Al's supposed to, Yeah. He's supposed to be a friar and everybody asked to see a friar. And I was like, he actually is a friar. Um, and we, we changed the, the robe colors to green cause that's my favorite color. And, uh, but yeah, and he just, it just embodied the feeling we were going for kind of the jovial, you know, he's, he's, he's a little rotund and happy and, uh, we like that. I'm a little rotund and happy. So <laughs> it worked out well. And so, and I mean, I love the logo. I love the, the sort of the, I would say it's kind of Celtic, but I don't know actually what the lettering is, but if I look at it, that would be my first thought is it sort of has this Celtic lettering for the, uh, the R and the N in the nuts part. And it just, it looks so cool. So I love the brand. And actually I love the way you did your packaging as well. It was just so well done. You know, sometimes you get to flavor Georgia and people are still just slapping printer labels on a product, but I mean, you have a clean product. It looks good. The packaging is clean. And so um, I'm going to ask some questions about the actual uh, products. But first, I mean, how did you choose your packaging? I mean, that's not an easy process as an entrepreneur, especially if you haven't been in food before. Right. It is. It actually is. That was a very difficult uh, piece for us. We, we kind of went in knowing we wanted to have a sustainable feel to our packaging, a very natural look. Um, my goal in everything we're doing with the company is to move towards zero waste. So what I want to have is, uh, fully compostable packaging. Our current packaging is not fully compostable, but that's hitting the markets right now. And we're looking to move towards that. Um, but we wanted it to look natural, to have a good feel. The window in the packaging, uh, was, I, I just believe it's better when people can see what they're buying. So our small packages don't have the window, but that's just because the package for the small size, the window placement didn't work out well, but for the larger bag, it worked out. So we used that, um, but we tried to make it look as natural as possible uh, and with the goal of achieving that zero kind of zero waste. So once you're done eating the content, you can actually compost or, or put your, even if you throw it away, it won't really add to landfill mass over time. It will break down. Um, and that's the goal we're going for. So we just, my wife and I, you know, not necessarily, big organic people but we like the all natural we like uh try to be sustainable and uh try to stick with sustainable design and packaging uh but there are a ton of options out there and what we ran into was we sampled a bunch of products uh as far as packaging goes and then it just kind of settled on where we got through trial and error um and we've been pretty pleased with it since then I'm trying to think if like the, the package labeling and all, we've done all of that ourselves and uh, the design layout. My wife was very helpful with that, but uh, I appreciate that you like it. That makes me, <laughs> proud of, we're proud of it. So. 
Well, and it's no easy endeavor. Anyone who's not in food, it, you see the package and, and it does it, but designing it, even the, and even on the simplest forms, to put it in a professional um, setting like you have done, I mean, it takes a lot of time and work and labels fitting on packaging and how to the packaging sealed and making sure they have shelf life. And it just is one of those things you sort of like spin your head in circles and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do just right. to get this product out there. And it's why... You know, a lot of companies, you, you you know, 8 to 12 product lines is a lot because the amount of packaging and managing of the SKUs and all of that just becomes such an undertaking. And, um, and it's hard to obviously create a lot of products within a product line. But, I mean, the one that I believe you were at um, Flavor Georgia for, and I may be wrong, was a cinnamon, like uh, C-I-N-A-M-E-N, yep. like a play on words, obviously, which I love. And so tell us how you developed right. that <laughs> recipe and, and, and brought it about. I mean, you've obviously, you create these things. So how did you do that? Created the name or the flavor in general? Well, or both. Like, just tell us the story about that, that particular nut line. Okay. So the flavor itself, that was actually the first one I ever made in my home kitchen for myself, like for us to snack on. And, um, I, I like almonds. I, I eat a lot of almonds and I love white chocolate. I'm a big white chocolate lover and uh, cinnamon. And I kind of was thinking, I wonder if cinnamon and white chocolate would go together. Uh, it felt like it should, but I wasn't sure. And then um, started experimenting with home and like literally the first time I ever made it is like, whoa, this is good. Uh, this is kind of exactly what I wanted uh, for a snack for myself. And so started making them just for fun, like for myself to snack on and my boys. And, uh, I have a 10 year old son who's an avid swimmer. And, and one day I had made a, at what we consider at home to be a fairly large batch and put it in a, a Ziploc container. And a day or two later, I came home and was looking for them and he had eaten them all. Like they were gone. So I thought, well, that, that must be, <laughs> it must be working out all right. Cause he seems to like them. And then, uh, so we just referred to it at home as the cinnamon one. And then like I was saying, when we were at the festival and I came up with the name, uh, obviously the first thing that came to mind was kind of sin S I N. And I was like, but everybody does it. I've actually seen people do that cinnamon kind of thing in the past. And I was like, I, but I don't like that. And I went the other way and went with the C I N and then amen at the end to try to kind of keep the, the theme that we were going for. And, um, uh, as soon as I said it, this was literally one of the first ideas that popped into my mind as we were walking from the festival to the car. I was like, we can do the sin I'm in and then hellfire can be our hot one. And uh, I was like, we can do awaken. And my wife is just thinking I was kind of crazy. Uh, but at the same time, she even laughed at that when she's like, actually, that's pretty funny. And uh, so that just became what it was. So we even started referring to it as sin I'm in at home and, uh, and then when the, we just started designing the packaging and everything, that, that actually had just stuck, and that was the flavor name. And that one was really the one that started the others. That and Hellfire. Hellfire was another one just obviously of oh, a hot one. You can just call Hellfire. Um, and that's kind of where that, that came from. And then everything else, we've just tried to stick with the theme. So, uh, yeah, we've, we, we have fun with the naming. Even we have some experimental flavors we're working on, and even that, we just have a lot of fun coming up with the names and uh what you can do with them well and okay and so i'm going to ask about all of them just because i think it's a fun part of the story and how about i see you have one called awaken as well um tell us about yeah. that one 
to date are most popular. That is the coffee flavored one. And uh, I, again, was just kind of goofing around at, at, at home and making up flavors. And I love, I'm a, I love coffee. I probably drink too much. And uh, thought, oh, I wonder if that would work out as a flavor and started kind of experimenting. And that one took a lot more experimenting. There was, there was, uh, it's actually hard to get the coffee flavor to infuse into the chocolate correctly without uh, making the chocolate untemperable in my experience, at least like it was too soft or it would just melt too easily um, to a point of just trying different things and finally got to a, a, a process I like to make the flavor. But then we were like, well, what can you call a coffee flavored one based on this kind of religious terminology theme. And I was thinking, well, awakening was the first one, but then when we tried to put it on the packaging, it was just too much. It was too long, too wordy. And, um, like, well, I like that. And we went with that and, uh, one seller. And, uh, and then there's, including, oh, go ahead. Including. Yeah. My 16 year old niece who is, uh, those and, uh, I'm not sure if she started drinking coffee after she was eating those or not, but but that's her her favorite. And um, and so I mean, I just I love these things because I think what you're doing is amazing, and and marketing's not even your background, but having coming up with this concept and then tying it all together, it's an incredible concept. And um, and just a, it's funny because we had a bearded coffee company out of Colorado on the show a few months ago, and. Mm-hmm they sort of name each one of their coffees after a style of beard. And so, I mean, it's kind of what you're doing with right. the nuts here. It's, and I love that marketing style because I think in people's brains, like it's, we categorize things. And if we can cluster categorize and then tie those to that category, because it's a play on the religious theme and the religious nuts theme. And then, and then the way you're creating the flavors, then you're plant using those flavors of almonds to sort of play into the naming uh, and have that mm-hmm. sort of religious connotation, which it's not offensive. I think it's actually a play on and it makes it fun. So like, and then the next one, I actually, when I first read it, I thought it said enlightened of mine, but it says enlightened of mint, I believe. Right. And um, so tell us right. about that one. So enlightenment was the, our, is our peppermint flavor. And that one was that one was actually quite with something I had tried wonderment and I was thinking all this stuff. My wife actually came up with enlightenment, which I thought was as soon ran with that. But the, uh, the peppermint flavor in general, my wife loves, uh, her favorite flavor. So I had started trying to come up with something that would work that she would like and kind of experiment with it. Cause once we started making them, what we realized is like, there's all of these flavor opportunities out there, but you're never really sure if they're going to work with the nut and peppermint was probably the, the most obvious one where it's like people just go like, that's weird. It sounds weird. And peppermint on an almond just isn't, doesn't sound appealing, but they're actually really good. And, uh, but it took again, some experiment, experimentation to get there and instead of using like extract or whatnot we actually use peppermint leaf powder like i make peppermint leaf powder myself out of a dried peppermint leaf and then uh, one of my good friends this is their favorite and they say that it reminds them of like that but they they love it so i kind of experimented a lot and my wife really likes that mint what a pretty good response we were um we were there on the Square Festival in Dahlonega, Georgia. This one actually sampled really, really well, along with the Awaken. Those were the two that got the 
fine. And, uh, and it just worked perfectly for the, the theme and the flavors. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where that name came from. I have to give my wife all credit on that one. No, and actually, I, as you, and it's funny, when I actually pronounced it out, I didn't say, think it, I was like, enlightenment, oh, I got it. And then when you say it faster, you're like, enlightenment. And I'm like, oh, obviously. And so, I mean, even that, it's like, it takes a while. And I guess I'm a little slow on the pickup, apparently. But, and I did go to Catholic school for six years, let's be honest. So, obviously, I didn't pay oh, attention much in class, to religious class, I should have, apparently. But I just, I think it's just so fun. I mean, I would just sit around all yeah. day and come up with names. I would never make any nuts because I'd be having so much fun coming up with names. <laughs> but it's um, we it, it it is a lot of fun. Like like I say, even with the experimental flavors we come up with and stuff that because I just kick around different spices and whatnot in the in the home kitchen. And then obviously we have a commercial kitchen where we produce. But the home kitchen is kind of on. We're experimenting with a flavor like, oh, this is pretty good. What would we call it? And then that's kind of the fun time. It's like people eating them and then, uh, you know, sitting around our dining room table, popping them in and then saying, all right, what does this make me think of? What's kind of the connotation of what could this flavor mean? And it, it's, it actually is quite a bit. It's almost like a game, but it is quite fun. Yeah, it is fun. And the last one that I have on here, maybe I missed one, but is the Hellfire. Right. Hellfire is the cayenne. It's the hot one. It, it's it's uh, That one was just obvious. I mean, that was one of the two that I kind of named walking back to the car. Uh, we can call the hot one Hellfire. A lot of people kind of like expect it to be hotter. Um, and then one of the questions we also get a lot from people is, where's the brimstone? Because Hellfire and brimstone... So I have now got it in my mind. I have to create a, a flavor that is also now called brimstone. But the interesting thing with Hellfire is that it it depends on how much you like spice. So the people that want to come up and try it and like it are people that are already fond of spicy foods. And then to them, it doesn't seem that hot. They're like, oh, it's not that hot at all. But people who aren't used to spicy foods find it to be quite warm. And the cayenne pepper is kind of tricky because it's not hot at first bite. It kind of sneaks up on you. Uh, and the Hellfire Nuts will do just that. And I, I had made a batch of those and the cayenne pepper, uh, and I brought them to my office. And one of my coworkers picked up one or two and popped them in his mouth. And he's like, oh, that's not hot at all. And then takes a big handful of thing. It sneaks up onto you. Kind of took about 10 or so and started chewing on them, sniffling because it's all hitting at once. And it's, uh, it's tricky. But then some people will come up and be like, oh, that's not hot at all. So I have this idea for making like a ridiculously hot version of it, like a special edition, if you will, called Inferno. that's just designed to like literally clear your sinuses. Um, but that's still in the in the experimental stage at this point. I know. I was like uh, that uh, one of them that did come to my mind as I was sitting here thinking, because now I'm like all about thinking about nuts was the Don Dante's Inferno and had a include that in there but i yeah just just inferno may work but it was just it's just so fun like i'm like this is incredible so tell us about <laughs> some of the other flavors you're thinking about i mean are there future um flavors that you're going to add to the line that you're sort of experimenting with and, and names and and i mean how big do you yeah, want to take this there that's the that's actually it's funny you ask that because one of the things that I probably have another four to six flavors just kicking around. Uh, one is a matcha green tea that we've already been experimenting with and uh, his people like, and I think it will work. Um, 
my idea on that one is I will probably name it Zen and for the matcha green tea. Uh, already working out the packaging, that will probably be the next white chocolate version. But beyond that, the biggest request we get is people asking for dark chocolate versions of all of the flavors. And that's a lot of fun to think about as well. Uh, we're thinking about doing kind of a, a light and dark, if you will, or copying the theme from the white chocolate into the dark chocolate. So as I've mentioned earlier, people ask about the brimstone. So obviously a, a, a good marketing piece to me would be if you have the white chocolate as hellfire, do the dark chocolate as brimstone. So you have these kind of, uh, uh, not yin and yang necessarily, but kind of both flavors with a common theme because they have the common underlying theme of the cayenne pepper, but then you have the white chocolate and the dark chocolate and use the dark chocolate as the brimstone. Um, the reason we get asked that a lot is because some people just don't like white chocolate. And then some people, for example, white chocolate has dairy in it most of the time, um, depending on where you source it. So a lot of my vegan friends are, are just begging for me to do dark chocolate ver versions with a vegan dark chocolate so they can actually eat them. And uh, so that's also in the test kitchen right now. And we've got, I've done the dark chocolate with the cayenne and it does work well. I haven't quite perfected it, but it's getting close. Hey, I so that'll probably I was just like, I can't wait to hear the name for these. I'm like, I'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah, going to like be stalking. You're going to, you're going to see me stalking you on Facebook, like in Instagram, just waiting for the launch of the names. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. A lot of people like, we get a lot of recommendations for people like, uh, just randomly. Like we, at the festival this past weekend, uh, few thousand people came by our tent. I mean, it was, it, we, it was, it was a lot of fun. But it's funny how many people will just throw out name ideas like, oh, you should call one this. Not solicited, just, you know, have you thought about this as a name or you should name this? And like some of it is kind of like, well, that's a good one. Or some of it's like, well, I can't take your, you know, your idea. Um, so one of the it's, it's but it's a lot of fun. What people are really creative <laughs> with their with their uh, and their their Bible terms come out quite, quite frequently. It's fun. Um but yeah, we're so what we struggle with on different nuts is do you keep the name and just specify that this is white shark or cinnamon or awaken, or do you need to come up with a whole different set of names for the pecan versions to avoid this? But in my mind, like when you said that, I, I can sort of imagine this, like the pecans. Right. And, and, and that was, it, it's funny you said that because we were, that's exactly the concept I was working with. And then to the idea of like every time you add on a new nut, you basically have this cast of characters for the for the mascots, if you will. And so eventually you get to kind of a whole little crew of, of guys, uh, like a cartoonish little pack of, of you know nut monks or whatever you want to call them. Um, and, and, and that, using that as a way to differentiate between the, the, the different types of nuts or types, even types of chocolates, for example, so you don't create a confusion. Um, he, uh, enlisted to do a, a whole little cast of characters for us. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Uh, but back to your, your comment earlier, one of the things that make sure that we're, uh, not even so much concerned about cannibalizing other flavors, but making sure that we're, you know, how do we differentiate? How do you keep the, the flavor profile with a different name? Or do you mock up some packages and then kind of test market them around friends and family first to see if they, don't realize there's a difference or do notice because uh, we want to make sure when we go out to broader market, you don't get 
lost in confusion with people thinking they're buying an almond and picking up a pecan or God forbid, I, I would hate for this to happen or, or picking up something that they're allergic to because they thought it was something else. And, um, so yeah, it, it, it can be a little tricky on that packaging testing and making sure that people realize what they're buying. So, uh, so we're working on that on a couple of the new, the new options. And I mean, it's just, uh, the whole concept to me, like you're really on to something here. And I think of the Milwaukee brewers who have like sort of the sausage races and there's like an Italian sausage, a Polish sausage, uh, a bratwurst yeah. and, uh, and like sort of American hot dog, I think, and they sort of run around the field or even the nationals, they right. use like the four presidents that are on Mount Rushmore, I believe, but I'm not positive, right. but it's right. Um, they, they do. I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan. We use, uh, we use tools cause home Depot is, yeah. is here or headquartered here. So we have the tool race. Yeah. I mean, you could literally have like a nuts race and you could have four. I mean, there's pecans, there's almonds, there's cashews. And you know, I don't know what the fourth one would be. Um, but it could be, I mean, there's probably some nut out there that would make an amazing, you know, addition to the brand. But I mean, I, in my head, I'm like Hawaiian nut. And then there's sort of the Hawaiian luau theme, like the macadamia nut. And there's the Hawaiian sort yep. of religious person and, uh, and, and their religious thing. So I don't know. I, I mean, at first I'm like, oh, you could do all of like English and like the British Isles and it could be a you know, priest and sort of the English church. But I mean, there's so many directions you can go. It's just kind of unbelievable. I mean, even on an international basis. Right. And, um, Oh yeah. And, uh, we've, uh, yeah, there's, and, and the way that we've always thought about it is for each nut, for example, uh, macadamia is a great example. That's one of the ones that we've, uh, if you look at kind of my, my, my handwritten notes from early on when I started thinking about, doing this macadamia is one of the nuts i thought about and exactly that same concept of making the like think about where the nut comes from where it originated and then designing kind of the theme even though sticking with the religious nuts theme but then to the mascot and to the lettering and the packaging uh more being more specific to that kind of region where the nut comes from so uh and macadamia is one that obviously is, is from Hawaii, and, and that one was kind of obvious. And then, like, for example, pecans is – I grew up with pecan trees in my yard. Like I said earlier, I'm from South Georgia and big pecan growing area down there. So I'd probably stick that one more to uh, maybe even kind of – like a, I was, what pops to mind is like a Baptist minister or Methodist yeah. minister. My, I grew up Methodist, and our minister always wore like more of the collar like a Catholic uh, priest would. Yeah. But – I don't know how that would work, but maybe we'll have to see how that goes. But then, for example, you can always go with any uh, Asian, Asian-based nuts, go with more of a Buddhist-type feel. Uh, there, so there's a lot of neat things you can do in this little cast of characters in my mind. <laughs> well, and- they're, they, they're already all like real characters in my head, which is kind of bizarre, but it's, uh, it's fun. Well, and uh, Deborah and I, my stepdaughters, we were in Thailand last Christmas um, for the Christmas break, and they have cashews there, and they're obviously a very Buddhist mm-hmm. country, so I'm like, oh my gosh, there's all these things you could do with cashews and curry powders oh, yeah. and and spices yeah. that they have there. I mean, I think I still have the cashew cans that we bought because they do all sorts of interesting flavors and things there. Um, as well with the right. cashews because they're from there. And, uh, you know, it's just was one of the most incredible things I've seen. 
Um, and obviously yep. I'm interested in food. So getting to see cashew trees and cashew tree farm and the way they do the production of cashews as part of one of our tours was just awesome for me. And so, but I, I'm oh, like, yeah, there's really like huge potential there. And in my opinion, they don't, they don't even understand the potential there because they kind of just throw their seasonings on it. They're not doing what you're doing with the, your nuts. So, I mean, you could literally take it to a whole new level. Oh yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that we're, that we look at, I, I kind of, when I go to the farmer's markets, for example, just look at the spices that are available and then think about would that work? How would that work? Uh, and some of it in your mind, you know, like even the peppermint to me, which was fairly obvious because I thought that white chocolate and peppermint would work, but there are some other spices that off the top of your head, you'd be like, well, that's just not going to taste right. But then what it takes is just finding the balance. And pretty much anything can work if you find the right balance. And uh, and you can get some really unique flavors. And then you can also start blending the flavors together, which makes a whole different palette. And uh, some stuff that just sounds weird off the top of your head, uh, like my wife wants me to work on a turmeric one. And uh, I can't ever say that right. I think I just said it correctly. She gets on to me the way I pronounce it. But uh, turmeric and and chocolate and like with that taste right together and like off the top of your head you're like that's going to be weird but what it really really takes is just experimenting with it until it gets the right blend of the kind of earthy turmeric flavor with the sweetness of the chocolate and and once you hit that balance though it can be really really good uh so i felt that way about the cayenne is finding that balance between the the sweet and the spice took a little while but once you get there I, I love eating those. Like when I'm sitting watching a football game or whatnot, that's what I like to snack on. It's just that balance works out really well. Yeah, and so I just said there's I mean, a lot there's... of. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go yeah, ahead. So many opportunities. So. No, I mean I'm just thinking about like you have your pecans and your almonds, and there's a bag that you mix a salty one with a sweet one, and it's sort of like a nutty reformation, and you know, and you're just there's all these like. <laughs> play on words that just i mean it could go on forever i mean i'm having fun here in the studio by myself just thinking up names i should be writing notes so i can write the notes on the episode but i'm like (laughs) i can't stop thinking about all the fun it would be to be you and coming up with all these names right now oh and that's one of the things i have to do is i I have to keep good notes because it, it is amazing when you're just kind of walking around and thinking about it or uh like oh or you'll see something right you'll see uh Church signs are a great inspiration, for example, uh, just driving around and you'll see a church sign that says something. You'll be like, well, that would be a good flavor name. And it's great to be able to think about stuff kind of outside the box like that. Uh, for example, Easter Sunday, the, leading up to Easter, the, the church signs, all these different kind of words and phrases. And you're like, I can turn that into a flavor. But you know, not what they're intended to be. But that's the way that I see them now. It's like, oh, that could be, I could create a flavor that has, you know, this ingredient and that ingredient, and that would be a perfect name for it. And uh, so it does, it, it, it is a shift in thinking about uh, the way you see the world kind of changes a little bit. <laughs> I know. it's uh, really Every time I way. see it, I'm going to think about sending you something because I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a great one. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. And that's what a lot of people, and people have done that. That's exactly what I was saying. Like with the festivals, people come up and be like, I get a lot of it suggestions uh a lot of requests and and people like oh you should do a dark chocolate one of this and you can call it x and i was like all right well uh now i'm gonna trademark that before you. <laughs> it's, yeah uh, 
yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. That was one of the talking about trademarking and names and stuff. As soon as we came up with the, the idea for the name, I, I was all excited about it. Like I said, it took a little while for my wife to get comfortable with it. Um, and we're a family business. So my wife is pretty much, even though it's, I do most of the production and whatnot, I don't really do anything without her kind of blessing it, if you will, because she's kind of balances my sense of humor sometimes. Um, but as we came up with a name and I started mentioning it to people, I was real secretive about it. The first, like one of the first things when I said was like, yeah, they want that like right away, because if it's not on out there, like that's really, and so we actually do all the trademark now, but we, uh, we were kind of covert on the name for almost a year of all the trademark thing. Uh, because like, if you mention that, like that's a really funny name. Somebody else. About flavors too, but flavors are a little easier than just the brand name as an outright brand name. Yeah, I think, we've had a lot of fun. I think it's interesting. It's um, it's just one of those things that that it probably brings you closer as a family. I mean, you know, entrepreneur as a family is a funny thing. It's it's hard to um to explain what it does and that you all have to work together now and you you go through this thing and now you, you're obviously going to farmer's markets and things like that. So your time on weekends are a little bit different. So, I mean, tell us a little right. bit about that dynamic now. I mean, cause you're, as you said, you were an entrepreneur before, but now you've sort of entered in this entrepreneurial world that, that takes you out on weekends and, and you're pushing a tangible product and, and the differences right. sort of in your life with your family. Right. And, 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 that's, I, I like how you also mentioned tangible product because uh, we'll, we need to circle back to that because that's kind of one of the things that inspired this was my day job. I do a lot of finance and accounting and that you just don't see any results at the end of the day of your work, even though you've worked hard. And then I was kind of, I guess, missing that. And then when I started making these and making packaging for them, it was like, felt like a real product and it was like a little bit of sense of pride that maybe I was missing in my day job, um, which is kind of a secondary benefit to the whole bigger picture of it but as far as the the family dynamic it's quite interesting and my sons i have two sons eight and ten and they are a hundred percent bought in I, I don't know how else to describe it other than that but for example we were at the barrel square festival uh two weekends ago and they were just sensational as far as like my younger one my eight-year-old is like the sampling king he he can fill a sample cup in a blink of an eye and make sure everything's stocked. And they will actually help in the kitchen on occasion. Uh, when they get a chance, uh, they are surprisingly critical of packages <laughs> and flavors. They're always my first flavor samplers. So, uh, it's interesting that the, the 10 year old, especially will just eat anything, but the eight, the eight year old has become kind of like, I don't want to say critical, but, he is good at critiquing flavors like ones this one's out of balance it's too you know, too much this not enough of that um and they've already memorized how to make the flavors which is really kind of how to make the stuff which is it's just quite cute so they're very helpful but then like this evening i'll be in our commercial kitchen so you do spend time away from them but it, and and that is frustrating in some ways, but at the same time, running the company. So you have to think of it as building a company for them as well. Um, and that's kind of how I view it is I, you know, if they don't want to do it in the future, if they, it's not something they want to pick up and run with, 
fantastic. If they want to you know, be doctors, it's whatever they choose to do, that's great. But at the same time, if this grew into something that they could let go, and they, you know, they, they, they've been accepting of the fact that it's Monday night, daddy's not going to be home or it's, we have this festival this weekend. And they know that the funny thing is that they've already accepted like, Oh, we're going to help you. Like that's the way that they've approached it is almost like they have a job uh, to support the business when we're at festivals or at markets. Um, and they do. And it's been interesting. I don't know if that'll change as they get older and they'll start getting tired of it or uh, rebelling. That's yet to be seen. And then my wife who also works full time is, um, just fantastically supportive. I, I just honestly couldn't do it without her. Um, first of all, when I started thinking of the idea, instead of being like, are you crazy? She was just like, you can do it. You know, if you want to do it, pursue it and I'll help you as much as I can. And she's always right there. Um, and honestly, just, it's been a family adventure off of this kind of crazy thing that came out of my head, but it's, uh, it has actually kind of pulled us together in some ways, I guess. Cause I mean, our house, it's <laughs> like not, there's like notes and uh, all this different stuff, like all over the place, like our uh, crates and tables and tents and stuff that we use at festivals. <laughs> it's just like our house looks like a religious nuts uh, marketing van exploded inside <laughs> stuff everywhere. But, it's been fun for all of us. I hope, I mean, to me, it feels like it's been fun to all of us. I think uh, so in, in many ways, I think it's actually been a good thing uh, for all of us. The funny thing, side note, my older son, uh, I guess this was about four or five weeks ago. We're in the car and <laughs> day when I make a billion dollars from your company, I'll give you some money. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Sir? When I, when I make a billion dollars from religious nuts, I'll give you some money. I was like, well, Thanks, buddy. <laughs> it's got so, legs, right? I mean, this is, I mean, people are interested in, and I think the marketing alone and the branding alone just in and of itself is just so amazing. And it's like, it's kind of one of those things I can't believe someone hasn't thought about it before, but that's usually what happens is maybe even someone has, they just never were able to execute it because they were too afraid to move forward and too afraid of failure to do it. So I really just think there's so possible. much potential. And, and it, Thank you. And, and I agree. I mean, when I kind of thought of the name, I was like, there's got to be somebody out there doing that already. Like some, there's, there's got to be a small company somewhere. And I searched and didn't find anything, but like you were saying, when you Google search it, you get a lot of crazy response, you know, crazy results. So it's possible that there's another company out there. I couldn't find them. Uh, when I went into the, um, the, the trademarking process, there was nobody applied. So it seems like, well, if anybody had thought of it, like you said, they maybe didn't pursue it. Maybe their wife convinced them that it was too offensive to pursue. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, but we're we're happy uh, that we got it, and the the marketing and branding has been really well received, and and I love the responses. So we get a lot of just guffaws. I mean, when people are walking by, and they'll kind of look over and catch the name. And then it, immediately they'll come into the tent just to look at the flavor names. Because first of all, they're like, what is this? And then they walk in and uh, get a big kick out of the overall name. And then when they go through the flavor names, it, it's just the responses have been fantastic. And we've had actual uh, sales. My mother was asking, like, well, when we were sampling, she goes, well, no, I guess people won't buy unless they're sampling. I was actually be surprised because we've had quite a few people come up and just purchase as gifts for other people sight unseen like i just love the name and i want to buy a pack for my uncle or my cousin or you know this 
or my boss, people just buy them just because they find the name so humorous. Like, well, actually, do try them because we think they're pretty good. So, um, but yeah, the, the name has gotten a lot of a lot of attention and uh, in a good way. And, and uh, yeah, we're we've 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 been enjoying that because it makes people laugh. And, and honestly, I mean, uh, I, if, if I were actually funny on a, on a day-to-day basis, I would be a comedian. I'm just not that funny on average, but I love that people get a chuckle out of it. I love that people enjoy both brand and then the actual, the actual product. So um, I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of other people's enjoyment of it, I guess. Well, and so that brings me to a, a great question, I think, is that, um, you know, you're growing and people are having fun with it and you're expanding your, your brands. I mean, so, I mean, if you grow, I mean, you're going to grow out of doing it yourself kitchen eventually and things like that. So do you envision Mm -hmm. going into your own production facility or do you envision having to use co-packers? I mean, because obviously there's a balance then between going out and marketing and then managing the production because that's always a catch 22. And as an accountant, I would imagine you, obviously run numbers in your head all day long as well and, yep. and what makes sense and efficiency. So it's an interesting twist, right. right? You have these two things and I want to get back to the tangible product thing we talked about before, but mm-hmm. in that, I mean, so do you envision what that future looks like? I've, I've thought about it in several different ways and yeah, the, the short answer is yes. And there's a little bit of a trick to obviously the more we grow, I know that I like, I literally make every single pack by hand myself, every, every single nut, every single thing is hand coded. Uh, we make everything by hand. And at some point I can't do all of that myself. And that point has at times seems like it's immediate. And then other times like January, for example, was fairly slow. So I could build up some inventory and that wasn't a problem. But then when you start hitting, especially Christmas time, people are already talking about ordering for Christmas for gifts. So at some point, I can't keep up with that. The trick for me is then how do I want to uh, proceed? Because the way that we came up with the product uh, initially, when I first started making these, I had mentioned where I was trying stuff that was out on the market and didn't necessarily like it. So when I go and I buy a chocolate covered almond commercially, it's a lot of chocolate on a very small almond and I didn't like that. So by making them by hand, it's, it's actually a, a much better balance between the chocolate and the flavoring to the, the nut. And I don't know if you can accomplish that, uh, with machines the same way that you get this kind of handmade, obviously our artisan nut. And so as I'm thinking about producing more, I always wonder, well, I could, machine it you know i could i could go towards machinery and production machinery and produce a lot more but i don't know if it will i just feel like it might lose that thing that makes it special and uh as far as the nut itself take all of the branding aside all of the packaging aside you know all of just the nut the flavor itself uh i i think that hand production just gives it something special and so my thought has always been, oh, I will probably hire on people and keep the same process that we have. But <laughs> but then if you get a huge order, how many people do you have to have to produce 100,000 units uh, or a million units a year? That's a lot of people because it's time intensive. So co-packing is an option, but then you're also then at the point of how do you manage that specific production? At some point, I mean, if the demand becomes so great, I'm just going to have to 
go to my engineering friends. I, I went, I'm a Georgia Tech grad, so I have a lot of engineer friends. And like, okay, I've got to make this mechanized uh, for efficiency purposes, but I need it to be like this. I, I don't want it to come off the conveyor, you know, with gobs of chocolate and a crappy little almond. I need it to basically look like this, and then just see where we can go from there. Um, but that was a kind of a long-winded answer to say I don't know. <laughs> no, I know. I have a lot of thoughts. And, and, uh, I'm not sure which one's the right path yet, and but a lot of it, like I said, it comes down to uh, what does it cost me to invest in a uh, production machinery versus having a a hired person that knows the how to do it by hand, like I would do it. And uh, I think at some point, uh, you know, if the growth is great enough that you have to go to machinery, then we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But right now, I think we can manage it uh, the way that we're doing and. Uh, but then also when you hit that point of growth, maybe you do have the opportunity because you have the sales and revenues to support it to go into your own kind of custom design machinery that makes it the way you want it. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And I actually, in, in being in the food business and food production and co-packaging and things like that, I absolutely think that there's a way that you could probably make sure that they're still hand dipped as you and, and oversee it. There's got to be companies out there that do it and, and things like that. But mm-hmm. I think most of all, it's the hardest part is, and it's why I asked the question because I was curious because the hardest part as a food entrepreneur is making sure that as you're, you grow, it's scalable, but how do you keep mm-hmm. that small batch mentality? And I mean, it's a big deal exactly. because hand doing, the almonds is always different. And for us, we do a lot of food for hospitals and institutions, but you know, there's always the option to mass produce it. But for us uh, mm-hmm. as a company, we're like, okay, well, we want human hands to touch everything because less error in the food, everything stays more consistent, oddly. And then human hands gives human quality assurance on everything that goes out the door. And while it may cost right. a little bit more, we're saving the money in in claims or food being thrown away or not done properly or health scares or whatever. And we're also doing the right thing, I feel like, by making sure there's jobs out there and creating jobs. You know, if a machine can do it, you right. know, I'd rather, you know, pay a human being because in our business, human hands mean so much in the quality assurance. So what you're doing with your nuts, and, and I was a judge at the Flavor of Georgia, so I loved... I just loved how you guys did it and that it was fully coded. It wasn't sort of the machine process where there's always going to be kind of a patch that's missing based on the way, even when they flip it, they kind of miss a portion. If you really look at machine coded nuts and they, they get a, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it doesn't change the flavor at all, I would guess, but it is noticeable. And it, to me, it's a quality thing. And when one of the things that I, loved about what you did is that literally every part of the nut was covered and it was just Mm -hmm. no matter what part you bit because i eat like handfuls like i'm a handful nut person like same with popcorn like i'm the guy (laughs) at the movie theater shoving as much popcorn i can in my face same with the nuts like i grab a handful (laughs) you know uh deborah's always like you know i go in the closet and there's an almond bag and i just grab a hand and shove it in and that's my hands for the day well her she eats one at a time, you know, she's not like she wants to enjoy every nut and the flavor on, on every nut and, and does it a little more or less, I should say cavemanly because I, I get a little apish when it comes to food and things like that. I kind of just grab handfuls and eat rapidly. (laughs) 
And, um, but, and then there's people that I've seen, like they'll eat pieces of the nut, you know, they eat like, like, you know, there was another judge there. I watched the way she ate the nut. She kind of ate it off in pieces, like, and she was saving it because she wanted to savor the flavor because of what was going on there. And so, I mean, it really is like, okay, like no matter what you are, the coating on the nut, the flavor profile that you guys are creating, and then making sure the whole nut is coated is such an important part of the mm-hmm. brand also, I feel like. So I don't know. One I don't have any advice, I but guess, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of the ways I look at that too, though, is like, for example, uh, we're, I consider us a craft food and, and for once you start you know, mass producing it from a machinery standpoint, even though you get a, you get a consistent product and you can produce it quickly. It, to me, it's no longer a craft food at that point. And, uh, like there's there's something kind of uh, maybe even nostalgic about it being handmade and small batch and and it truly is an, an artisan food it is truly a craft food and and to me that that just is uh, there's something special about that there's a you know that that to me carries a, a premium in both the quality and just the the, the overall experience and uh, I would like to stick with that as long as we possibly can and and maybe forever. Um, so that that's kind of like when I, you know, if I really think about, I was talking about the way that we want to move to everything being sustainable and kind of zero waste. I always kind of come back to, I would really rather have several, several employees, however many it takes to produce as long as you can still produce and make a profit to pay people and, and, and maintain as a company. And if that's not possible, then you have to think of other options. But as long as I can do that, that's what I want to be doing, I guess. Um, and we'll see, and, you know, it's, it's, all this talk about automation and it, it really is tr- true. And there are a lot of things that automation is probably, there's no way around it, but in a craft food standpoint, maybe it's going the other way. And like you say, adding that human touch uh, just keeps it special in my opinion. Uh, I don't know if people agree with that, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, in your case, I mean, there's, there's probably a hybrid also where like it's, you know, the machinery's mass bagging and labeling and all that and boxing and and all of that and that sort of machine right. part but the part that matters is sort of that small batch craftsman employees right. to right. dealing with the nuts and right. i mean and and that's the important part because i know as as a co-packer we try to make sure we mimic the people's small batch process as much as possible which is good because we have a lot of employees and we like hands-on things because Something people don't realize is when the other thing that happens when you go to mass production is you start to lose flavor profile and quality on a per item basis. And I don't know what generally happens, but the brands, while they may go into more stores, you're cutting corners because you want to cut margins and cutting margins cuts profitability on a per item basis. And while I agree a larger pie, a smaller slice of a larger pie, maybe more money. It doesn't, the products that tend to do that, I've watched it time and time again. If you don't scale it and stay true to your brand, like you're talking about and your products and you scale just to go to mass production and get them on the shelves, they often run out of gas in a few years and the product doesn't keep its quality and its flavor profile. And the person as the entrepreneur is more concerned about pumping out the product suddenly than the product they created 
and therefore the product just goes down the tubes and there's no way really to go backwards at that point because you've already committed to this mass production process. So to go back and start over and try to fill orders and things like that just doesn't happen. So I'm glad we're talking about it because I don't ever really talk about it on an episode. It's just so important that we um, make sure that we stay true to our products and our brands as food entrepreneurs the whole way through. And and I think you, you have the right idea with that, which is why I asked. And um, I appreciate it. I I totally agree. I mean, I think that there's, you know, uh, because a handmade product is is usually not cheap, right? So if you're going into a a store and you're, and you're just looking for a chocolate coated almond, we're never going to be the cheap one uh, because of the process that takes to make it. But it's that, but whatever attracts you to the product in the first place. And I, I feel like that handmade small batch is such an important thing that people are attracted to. And once you move away from that, like what's the difference between us and the, the other mass marketed stuff. And I, I don't, I guess the thing is, is I don't ever want to compete on price. I want to always be known for the quality and, uh, and you know, the, the brand and then the quality of that brand. And, and I just, I'm always concerned about if you go to this mass mass produced thing, you, you do lose that, you know, and, uh, both from the flavor profile, like you're saying, is a big concern, but also just the general feel of the product. Uh, you know, what people were attracted to in the first place is been potentially been gone. And then, I don't know. I, I, I just think that that you kind of, sh- there, there's a possibility that you're shooting yourself in the foot when you, when you do that. And I get why people do. I mean, and there are other ways, there are many ways that like you're saying, there are pieces of our process that we could obviously automate. For example, tempering of chocolate, they're great machines to do that. I do it by hand right now. Um, that was one of those things that as you're growing, it would be much better to temper the chocolate in a machine. That's what it's designed to do. It doesn't actually impact uh, the flavor profile. It's just a better way to do a large amount of chocolate in a, in a short amount of time where I don't literally have to be sitting there hand stirring it and, uh, and cooling it. It's done automatically. So there are parts that you can still keep the hand feel while utilizing the right machinery and, um, and still maintain your, the, the handmade feel and, and the, the quality. So, so um, I never asked, but what, I mean, maybe you mentioned at the beginning, but what year did you start the business? So that's, that's kind of a long, uh, long answer. And, and I'll tell you why I have uh, some medical issues that I end up in the hospital way more frequently than a normal person. I have a, a very rare genetic blood disorder. So when I originally started making the nuts, this was back in 2016. And then I first started thinking of making it into a company and actually incorporated the religious nuts company in 2016. But it actually took two years for us to come out with the packaging and the product and actually go live uh, because I had just had a particularly rough year and a half of, of episodes where I was just kind of constantly in the hospital uh, off and on. And I did work on it. Matter of fact, the, the logo design came about when I was in the hospital. Some of the name and package designs I did while I was in the hospital. Um, but then you can't actually produce. <laughs> so it took some time to kind of get settled and back to a, a, a relative degree of stability to start producing in enough quantity for us to go out and sell. So we went live as far as a marketable packaged product in October of 2018. So it was almost two years between when we incorporated and when we actually went live. And the date was kind of special. Uh, the day that we 
kind of had our coming out party, if you will, was a little local festival to our neighborhood called the Oak Grove Festival in Decatur, Georgia. And it was on our anniversary, my wife and our anniversary. So when we got the notice of like the Oak Grove Festival, she says, do you think we could be there? Do you think we could actually have product and, and do that festival? And it was probably about a two month lead up. And we had all the stuff kind of in pieces, but not assembled into like one solid package that we liked. And um, with the UPC codes and, and everything. And so we, I, I said, well, we're going to try and, and why not? It's a special day. So we'll, we'll do that. And we got all of the stuff together, uh, ready to go live. And then hurricane Michael hit. And what that ended up setting us back was we couldn't actually get our inspection done in time to sell. So we were all set up. We had product ready, but we ended up just kind of, sampling and, and showing people the brand name, if you will. Uh, and then within a week of that, we actually got our inspections done and started selling online. And then people from the festival and uh, had picked up business cards were purchasing online. And then uh, some were just through friends and family were coming up to us and saying, hey, can I buy some of these? And, and then the relationship with Brendan developed out of that. And uh, yeah, then we, we just had a, a, an extremely productive Christmas season last year because it was a brand new product that nobody ever heard of. And it was funny. And, and uh, so we uh, people were buying it for Christmas gifts last year really just went through the roof. I was expecting we'd sell, you know, if, if we sell a hundred packs this year, I'll be happy. And we sold way more than that. Like it was, uh, like I said, I was, I was struggling through the Christmas time. It's good that we had the break from our day jobs because I was actually in the kitchen producing to, to fill orders. Well, and I, and I love the story because of one, the tenacity and obviously you have, you have hardship, but you're also running an entrepreneurial business in the accounting side, but then you're also trying to launch this tangible food entrepreneurial business. And on top of that, you know, setting a model of tenacity and entrepreneurship for your children amongst all of it. And it's, in my opinion, and it's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to sort of get the word out there because one, our kids don't get this in school. You know, they don't see that how what work ethic does and tenacity and perseverance does in, in getting an entrepreneurial education. It just doesn't happen. We don't encourage it in our school systems. And actually, it's kind of funny because I even in college and grad school, I felt like the encouragement was to go more corporate America and work for someone else versus actually have the mindset of going be my own person, even in a liberal arts education. And it always just sort of blew my mind that there was this free thinking attitude, yet the push to go into corporate right. America. And so, um, and I think that, you know, entrepreneurism creates more jobs. It also gives a gift to our children and the next generation to solve problems that I think even if they don't become entrepreneurs themselves, they have this idea in to, you know, to be more open-minded about looking at things and color outside the lines a little bit. So the model that you're setting, I mean, in just the story you just told through, like I said, the perseverance and the tenacity and the strength to just keep moving forward always, even when you're in the hospital, you're designing something and, and moving forward and no time's wasted and, it's about leaving something behind for your kids. And even you can see it already. They're already talking about paying you back with your company, which I think is awesome. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it's, um, 
it's it's pretty incredible, right? And it doesn't happen, you know, in everyday life. And I can't explain it because in, it doesn't happen in every family, right? It does, we don't get that bond with our kids or our parents or our spouses in, in uh, that you get through being entrepreneurs. There's not the hardship. There's not the tough times. There's not the working together. There's not the feeling of having each other's back in the same way. Uh, you know, the the right. support and the love and the... I don't know how to explain it, um, the word I'm looking for, but there's really this unity in this family unit thing that happens in the entrepreneur lifestyle that is just so cool. And, um, right. and it's something especially great that they pass on. A, I'm sorry, oh, go yeah, ahead. Especially if it's, truly a, if it's truly a family business as well, uh, it's just everybody has a buy-in and, uh, and and kind of supports it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough. That's what I totally agree. just had an interesting uh, growing up experience in that manner, I guess my father and, and uh, one of his business partners started a corrugated packaging company, boxes, making cardboard boxes when I was 15. And I remember working there on the weekends and, and after school, you know, with my dad and with my mom and my sisters kind of making uh, cardboard boxes. Cause when they first started, they had a lot, you know, demand picked up fairly quickly and it was a staffing issue. So, we were there, you know, hand cutting some cardboard boxes on the weekends. But I was there with my sisters and my mom and my dad. And then uh, when it really started growing, they moved to a, a factory about an hour and a half away from our hometown. And my dad and I would literally live in the factory at night uh, during the week, like when I was not in school during the summers. And then um, so you do, you get used to it. But I, I got used to that kind of family approach to building a business and uh has actually been helpful. My dad's been a good source of, of, of bouncing ideas off of, and uh, he's been both a, a plant manager and a, a sales guy, and he's been a good source of, of, of ideas. But then also my day job, I actually work for a family office that has other businesses. That's what they do is invest in other businesses, and it's been a great set of resources. But that's a very unique experience for me, but I also then get kids, and, and I totally agree. I mean, I got lucky in many ways uh, you know some people believe you've done it all yourself I, I would never say i've done this all myself i've made every nut myself <laughs> but getting to where i am and just having that business mindset and kind of the knowledge to do what i do and then the support no way i mean that's been from all sides from uh, both sides of our family my family my wife's family uh and then just the guys i work with on a daily basis have been just massively supportive and uh and it grows. It grows as like a, a a business is like a little community, and it is its own family in many ways. And and it's been uh, a lot of fun. So, uh, but it is unfortunate that they you can't they people don't teach that or kids don't understand like what it takes to to build a business uh, as far as going to corporate. I mean, I totally agree. And like I said, I went to Georgia Tech Engineering School, and I happened to be there at all also an unusual time because I was in school when the internet boom began. So where probably my first two years of college, everybody was talking about going to work for big companies. But in the second two years of college, people have started developing dot-com companies. This was the huge thing. So it kind of the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, kind of swept over when I was there. So I, I have just this unusual, unique set of, of life experiences that kind of, I guess, set me up properly to, to do business and to, to think about starting my own company, I guess. Uh, and that's not, that's not a common thing. So I'm aware of how lucky I am to 
had the experience that I've had. Yeah, I appreciate um, you being on the show for sure and, and taking the time, Ryan. And I'd love to have you back on the show in like eight to 10 months to continue to tell your story and tell us about some of the other products you guys are developing and the growth of your business, if you'd be willing to do that. Absolutely. That'd be great. And uh, again, I hope it's a great story in eight months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be. I love the names and we'll continue to tell it. And I just, you know, thank you for the audience for listening in and just, you know, we're in over 41 countries right now and have tens of thousands of, of downloads across the world. And it's just such an incredible thing and the support that they're giving to the entrepreneurs. So I just want to thank everyone for that. And again, thank you, Ryan, for taking the time to be on and tell your story. I absolutely love what you're doing. And, and I love the give back of the entrepreneurism to your kids and, and just your mindset and how you're building the company and, and the process you're going through and the names you're coming up with. And I'm very excited to like continue to hear and tell your story because it's awesome. And with that being said, Ryan, one last time before we get off, could you tell people where to find you online and on social media? Sure. Uh, the website is religious-nuts.com. The dash is important. Uh, that'll take you straight to our website. Then on Twitter, we are at Religious Nuts Co. And then uh, we have a Facebook page as well, which is the Religious Nuts Company, which may also be Religious Nuts Co. Um, but that's easier to find on Facebook, Religious Nuts. And then uh, Instagram is linked to that. Um, I'm relatively active on, on Facebook or Twitter and Instagram. I need to be more active be better about keeping those updated so that's one of the things i'm actually looking for getting somebody to help help me with keeping that up uh but that's where you can find us uh thank you and uh if you guys want to reach out to me it's my email is justin at the food com. if you want to be on the show or uh, have comments or feedbacks, please share this episode with people. Obviously, there's amazing Christmas presents, as we just heard, uh, based on this episode. And there's plenty of varieties of nuts, and I'm pretty sure everyone in the audience would love all of them. So order some, try them. Uh, you will not be uh, unhappy with your decision, trust me. I was very happy with the nuts when we were at the Flavor of Georgia and, um, so that being said, you can also reach out to me on Instagram and Facebook at Justin and the food entrepreneurs. Uh, there'll be links in the podcast so you can find, uh, Ryan store and religious nuts and find them on Instagram and Facebook as well. So thank you for everyone for listening in and have a great day.